0: The Athletic. Whereas, you know, Carlo Ancelotti, an all time great in knockout and cup football, I don't think his league winning record is especially good given that he's spent the last 20 plus years managing the
1: richest teams in the world and Everton. Hello and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. Joined today by Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare, And as you can hear from my voice, um, a slight spring in my step compared to the last couple of podcasts where I wasn't happy with the team and their performances. They did very well. We'll talk about that in a second. But away from, from the game against Fulham, I'll, I'll ask both my, my colleagues today, uh, which, which of these two goals scored in the far-flung corners of Europe um, gave them more pleasure? Uh, Deli Ali scored his first league goal um, for over a year and just his second game for Brschic,tes in a 3-2 win last that's
0: night.
1: And it was a proper Alli goal. He played up front with Valt Veghorst in a two. Amazing. Or that's what Spurs should have done. That's where yeah. they went wrong. In a different, in a different
2: timeline. He line, was linked with them in a
0: different timeline. Mm. Time that would have happened. They weren't. Yeah. They weren't linked with them back yeah. in Jose
2: days. If yeah, they, in the Vinicius yeah, summer. If
0: they got him in. And then, you know, if things had gone slightly differently, maybe if the Mourinho era had been more successful, that would have been it. Toby, long ball, big whoop, flick on, just, <laughs> like this, just like this Delhi goal the other day. And Delhi kind of burst into the back post to stick it in.
1: So that's one goal I'm going to ask you to consider. Here's what
0: you could have won, Tottenham
1: Hotspur. N- the, the other was uh, Destiny Udogi, who seems to score every, every week from uh, uh, left wing back for Udinese, opened the scoring um, as they thrashed Jose Mourinho's Roma by four, by four goals to nil, except for Leipzig's David Raum, new signing, of course, for Leipzig. He's now the most, uh, along with him, Edward Raum, he's the most successful um, sort of fullback in terms of goals and assists. Seven goals and three assists. Wh- which one gave you more pleasure, Charlie? Well, I think the Delhi one, that's more sort of
2: sentimental. Um, I guess significance, the Adogi one bodes well. And what a way to endear yourself to. A loose set of supporters than scoring against a manager, um, yeah, who's who's not the most popular, uh, m- not the most popular former manager. But I'd go Delhi. I think De- Delhi's more sort of warms the heart kind of moment.
1: I, I need to ask you, Jack, because you put such a lot of emotional and physical effort into demonstrating for the listeners, a uh, demonstrating Veghorst's flick on um, that I, it, probably that is the goal that's giving you more pleasure because you're, you're exhausted from it.
0: Yeah, th- I mean that goal's giving me more pleasure than I think any goal. Well, certainly that any goal that I can remember in the last few years, uh, I'm delighted that he, he's got underway. I think that's his first, Charlie will correct me on this, I think it's his first league goal in open play since 2020,
1: right?
2: Yeah, since Good January God, 2020 yeah. against Norwich.
1: Oh, he Go. got a penalty, didn't he? That was almost, that was, almost yeah. coming yeah. up yeah. to three years ago. Um, yeah,
2: he's, cu- he's had a couple of pens since, but yeah. I'm now just crazy. really excited
0: about Tats' title challenge this season.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Super
0: <laughs> League is also-
1: coming back to the Vodafone Arena. And he did get, of course, a view of the other side of Turkish football for when, at the end of the game, uh, the players were all in the center circle shaking hands. And uh, one fan of the opposition ran the full length of the pitch to launch a cantoner style kung fu attack on the Vashiktas players. Uh, not, thankfully, Deli Ali. All right, which takes us to um, the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and a Spurs win by two goals to one against Fulham, unnecessarily close in the end, but having moaned um, about the way they played uh, in one or two games recently, um, I thought, I'm setting a tone for you to bounce off here, lads. I thought they were really, really good Spurs. I thought they were dynamic, passed quickly, made lots of chances at goal, um, and that's all I can require of them. And five changes as well. Um, A really encouraging performance. I thought Jack had warned us, Charlie, and you were there, um, that Fulham would be a good team, well-organised and technically good. Um, And Spurs really, I thought on another day, could have given them a good hiding.
2: Yeah, I think um, 2-1 is a slightly misleading scoreline because I think Spurs had much the better of it. And and it felt like quite an important game because although Spurs had started the season well points-wise, we talked about it that uh, performances hadn't always been great. This felt like quite an important sort of pivot and a way of how we were going to frame those first five games. But by winning and by playing well, even if, as I say, the scoreline didn't quite reflect that, I think everyone left feeling really positive And you know, it's it is a really good start to the season. And then the fact that the two teams above them both dropped points. Um, you know, after six games, they're in it, they're in a really strong position and. You know, they're unbeaten now I think, in 12 league games. Um, 14 is their record in the Premier League. So wow. this is a this is a pretty good run they're on. At home, they've become very, very good. Um, they've won every game since losing to Brighton in April. Um, and yeah, I think it was important that they were able to win whilst making changes. I mean, I looked at this and Conte, you know, he really doesn't make many changes and he has made five changes on a few occasions before but they were all in that December period where Spurs were racked with COVID and negotiating a very busy festive schedule other than that he really doesn't make many you know you're looking at often none sometimes one maybe two so it was significant that he was able to do that and get a good response a lot of you know and a lot of the players who came in you know I wrote about Richarlison I thought was excellent the yep. long they had a really good debut um a full debut. C- Sessignon so,
1: yeah. was really good. And Sessignon C- played really yep. well. Yeah, and, I, and yep. I
2: tweeted at half-time saying how well I thought he was playing and got criticism for that. But, um yeah, without going full partridge, needless to say, I had the last laugh.
1: You've only got to use the evidence of your own eyes. I've been the first to say that Ryan doesn't always do the things that you, you, might, you might want him to do, but he was powerful um, and relentless. What was good about Sessegnon is that he, he kept going at it um, and sooner or later, you know, it, it, for being led by by um not keeping going is not an option, is it? For uh, he, he is a... Uh, well, uh, we'll talk about Richarlison in just a while. Um, and Jack, how important do you think it, it was, given how much hot air has been expend, uh, expended about, you know, making the squad deeper, that Spurs can go into a game, you know, albeit against, you know, mid-table rather than elite opposition... Um, and make five changes and still look seriously the better team. Well, yeah, this has got to be the blueprint really, hasn't it?
0: Because this is the thing which they never had to do last year. Like even on on their great run last year, it was the same team every week. Um, But if they're going to... We've talked a lot about how bad the schedule is between now and now in the World Cup, Tottenham don't have a single free midweek during that time span, apart from the international break when their players will be playing all over the world. So they're going to have to do this every single... They're going to do this twice a week, every week. They're going to have to make a lot of changes and keep and keep the, the level of performance high. I guess what's interesting to me about the game is we talked last week about how the gap between Tottenham's good results and iffy performances was unsustainable and asking, you know, in which direction this, this would adjust to. And Charlie, having, you know, having... Be, been at the game you know i must admit i've only seen highlights of it do you think that the performance level in this game was an adjustment upwards as in this is kind of the this was the performance level that tottenham had been searching for and not able to access in the opening weeks of the season
2: yeah i think this was more um th- this and southampton were more similar like i think between those two games and that being the most recent and the first of the season it, it hasn't really Got to this level. So yeah, exactly that. I mean, that was sort of broadly what felt like was going to happen. One of those two things. And obviously there may well be a mixture. and We might see, uh, you know, obviously City to come and then Leicester after that. But it was definitely a step up. They just they just played with a lot more intensity. And, yeah. and Danny, you, you always talk about how important the start to a game is. And they they just came out with a lot more intent and it felt like a goal was coming up until the moment Hoybier scored, basically. And and I don't think there's been that same relentlessness. I know they scored early against Forest, but that felt a little bit against the run of play. It was. Uh, whereas this actually, you know, they they just came and they really went at Fulham. Um, and, and as Conte said after, the only disappointment is that they didn't score more um, and really put this put this game to bed. Son but, hit
1: the woodwork. yeah exactly. hit the woodwork. I mean, on another day they might have. You know, it's pointless saying on another day. It was, it was that day, but um, on another day they might have gone in, and we'd have been talking about you know how they'd improve their goal difference rather than just improve yeah. their points tally. Especially as Rashardson hit the post literally
2: moments before Mitrovic went up the other end and made it two one. So that what you know that was quite a big swing, um, and and also I mean just how significant it was that. Richarlison being as good as he was meant Kane was taken off after 78 minutes. That is the second time Conte has ever taken Kane off, which is incredible. The only other time was on Boxing Day against a Palace team that were down to 10 men after Zaha was sent off, so were completely beaten, and Spurs were playing a game two days later. Other than that, Kane has started all but one of Conte's games... And played the ninety in all but one of those games, so that I do think that's really
1: significant. Uh, but I, I, I thought it was significant too, Charlie, but in a, in another way, um, in that uh, and you know, probably pure coincidence. I didn't like the substitution of Kane. Um, what difference is ten minutes going to make? But you could see. I thought um, the message to me was: this game is over now. Um, uh, so, Fulham's players took it as oh, they think this is over, is it? And Spurs' players probably took it as oh, it's over. Um, and but I think that's only because it's so it's so rare that it
2: happens. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully that will become it will feel less like that as time goes on.
1: And Mitrovic, of course, uh, Jack and I are kind of uh, the founder member, uh, founder members, and the uh, president and secretary of the Alexander Mitrovic Fan Club. Of course, he got the goal, and it should be noted that ten years after they signed him. Uh, The the points were actually, in the end, cemented by a fantastic save Mm. by Lloris. That save that he makes, isn't it? That's his save Mm -hmm. where the ball is going top corner and he's not six foot nine and he adjusts his feet and does that piece of athleticism to keep, because otherwise that game could easily have ended a draw, which would have been an absolute travesty. Imagine how uh, bad the vibe would have been
0: if they drawn mm. 2 all, having dominated the whole game and then conceded twice in the last ten minutes.
1: It would I like been... to think. I like to think I would have gone. Well, at least they played well. <laughs> um, but I, but I had that that theory luckily has not been tested to destruction this morning, has it? What about our friend Langley there? I have to be honest. I watched the game on the television live, and I watched it pretty intensely. I hardly noticed him. Um, which is probably a good thing, except for one pass down the line, left footed pass down the line to. I think Richarlison was it Richarlison there was, and so it went-
0: when the Son's early chance started with Longley playing a really really good pass uh, down the kind of inside left channel to Richarlison uh, quite a few other, the other moves which went well for Spurs started with Longley like there was the Longley crossing from the left to Kane for the one where Kane played that brilliant pass and Son hit the bar there was another one I think he kind of knocked the ball through to Kane quite well early in the second half which led to an attack and I was just wondering I mean we talked last week about how one of Spurs' big problems recently has been with no Romero in the team they can't really get the ball forward quickly enough through the middle of the pitch uh, but I, given that long you yeah, know this is something is really good at I was wondering Charlie do you think that with both Longley and Romero back in the team Spurs were suddenly much much more able to kind of open Fulham up a bit um and to get kind of get more impetus for their attacking moves that way
2: yeah, it made a it made a massive difference. Certainly, Romero coming back, you could just see the confidence he has on the ball. There are a few times I was watching him quite closely, trying to sort of assess that difference. Having spoke about it uh, in the week, and that you know it's affected them in an attacking sense, but he's able to just draw attackers onto him, take them out of the game, and then exchange passes with Dyer, move them up the pitch, and then Longley does have that on the other side as well, and it will that will be an interesting battle now between him and Ben Davis in a good way. You know, they've got two. Players who you'd feel pretty comfortable playing on a regular basis, and, he, and uh,
1: yeah, he, I think I think, the, I think the that balance, did help. The balance will be with the manager, won't it? Whether whether the, slight, the 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 improvement in in the attacking shape of the team brought by Longley, as soon as he drops a defensive brick. Will the manager then say, "Actually, I need the solidity of Davis," and he, will he sacrifice? I mean, it may turn out Longley, um, you know, returns to the, the defensive reliability that he had three or four years ago. We shall see. Do you think but- it's
0: too basic to suggest that in games where Tottenham are going to dominate the ball and they've got to open up an opposition, it makes more sense to play Longley? But for games like, for example, City away this coming Saturday, it, more, it makes more sense to go with Ben Davis. Or is that, or is that just a bit too simplistic?
2: Yeah, I, although Ben Davis was involved in the first, if you remember last season in that game, Spurs' first goal yeah. was a great move from out the back and Davis was really instrumental in that. Yeah. So he's, he can do that as well. But yeah, but broadly, I mean, yeah, it, give, it does mean they've got those two other ways of playing, um, which I do is really think,
0: good. I do get the impression that Conte thinks Longley is going to be really, really important for this season. And is mm. going to, you know, is is probably going to play quite a lot and is also going to be, I think he might end up being one of the most, he might end up playing as much as any of the new signings. You know, he might, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up starting at least as many games as Basum and Richarlison and the rest.
2: Well, it was interesting as well because we were asking quite a lot about Richarlison after the game because obviously he'd been so eye-catching. But Conte made a real point of talking about Longley and how well he played. So I think he he did make a really positive impression on him.
1: I mean, you mentioned there Richarlison. I think, it, it, you know, we've talked about players who played well. I thought... Emerson Royal, at least his athleticism, um, caused him to to dominate one side of the pitch. Session played really well. Hoiberg does what Hoiberg does. He's never going to be player of the match, but he's always third on the list of players of the match, which takes us to Richarlison. Um, And and Charlie, you've had plenty to say about him. What did you make of his first full game for Spurs? I thought he was really good. Um, Both, I
2: mean tenacity wise how much of a shift he put in he tracked back so effectively and i I put the numbers in the piece, but for ta he made uh, the second most tackles of anyone on the pitch, winning four out of four, second most interceptions, second most recoveries um which which was what the eyes told you because he what he kept um tracking back into sort of fairly unglamorous positions and making tackles, winning throw-ins and this sort of thing. you know all the ugly side that. you you really appreciate when you're defending a lead. And then on the ball, there were some real moments of quality. Like he, The goal he had that was disallowed, the whole move started. He dropped deep from a throw-in, won it, laid it off. Quite a few nice passes. He set up the Hoybier goal. Um, And then when Spurs really needed him at the end with Kane off, and you know you're defending a lead and you just desperately need that outlet, there were a couple of times Spurs were able to play long balls up. He gets it, holds onto it, wins a throw, wins a foul, I thought he did really well and um, just great for them to have that option. You know, they have a for the first time, maybe since Kane has broken into the team, they have a genuine alternative, someone you could actually trust uh, to go and do a job. And the difference between being able to give each of them, Son, Kane, Kudasevsky a rest, especially in this period we're in of seven games in 21 days, and there are going to be more periods like this. Um, you know, because we're not talking, there's a massive difference. I was talking about this. Um, with a friend last week, there's such a big difference. O- often you'll hear pun- the pundits saying things like, you know, they've not only are they winning games, they've, they've got such a deep squad as well. You know, Lucas Moura can come in and it's like, he can, and these squad players are fine until you actually have to start playing them. And, and that sounds harsh on Lucas Moura, who, of course, you, you can play him in the Europa League and he'll do a job, you can bring him on for 20 minutes, you can start the odd game, but that's not what you really need if you're going to be in the Champions League and the Premier League. You know, Man City don't have players who you know, you can chuck on for 20 minutes. They have players who are who are very, very good and who can cut it game after game at the Champions League or Premier League level. It just so happens they don't get to play that often because the squad's so deep. And I think Richardson is at that kind of level and it's the kind of competition Conte's wanted since he took over.
1: Uh, and just to add to that, the you're right, you know, we had no replacement for Kane, but he started wide, of course. When Kane goes off, he goes to the centre and it's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Because... We've always got Son's pace, but um, Richarlison offers something slightly different than Harry Kane in that you can play the ball long if you need to, particularly um, in, this, in the moments of <clears throat> game management um, because he is, you know, with, without without being Dan James, he is pretty quick and yeah. uh, it, it offers something going the other direction. And the
0: other, Kane, the other Kane backups that Tottenham have had in the last few years haven't offered that at all, have they? Like, you no. know, whatever you might say about... Fernando Llorente like he wasn't exactly mobile when he played for Tottenham no. uh, nor frankly were Vinicius Carlos or, Vinicius, yeah. Vinicius great or to see him back or even Vincent Janssen so the idea of having someone like Richarlison who is you know can do all this different stuff he's, he's a great dribbler he runs in behind he can win headers he's very physical that is just a great extra option to have and I, I I, all being well, I think Tottenham should be in a position where they can actually just play with Richarlison as an old. He can be a bit of an old-fashioned nine as well. If Spurs need him to be, if they want to give Harry Kane a rest,
2: I mean that always felt like the best solution: bring in a versatile forward who who wouldn't, who could play in the other positions as well, so they could sort of cover everyone rather Perfect. than just being this sort of, you know, substitute centre forward.
1: But, but, you know, you, you actually scour the earth. There are not very many of those, and, that, and that's why Spurs end up paying a premium for yeah. Richarlison. I'm good to see Carlos Vinicius back at the uh, in North London, and I suspect if the game had gone properly and Spurs had been 4-0 up, um, he might have got a much more rousing welcome than the slightly hushed tones of, oh, God, this, you know what's going to happen now, don't you? That actually <laughs> um greeted his arrival on the pitch. I'm not sure. Someone will tell me. Um, Must be up there with Spurs' best-ever start in the Premier League. I think it is their best start in the Premier League over six games. Yeah,
2: I think it is. Because after five, they'd already equalled their best after five. And I'm pretty sure that season they didn't win their sixth. So I think it is their best-ever Premier League start.
1: Okay, so with that, um, you know they're in a a nice cosy spot near the top of the table. You don't want to be top, as they say at this stage. After the game, Conte was talking about... The gap um, between themselves uh, and, and the people who might ch- challenge for the for the title. Uh, he was asked the question, so he's got to blather about it. To me, the important thing is not necessarily have they closed the gap between Manchester City, Liverpool themselves, but they've got to get away from Arsenal, Manchester United, for instance, who both and Chelsea, all of whom have recruited furiously during the summer in a way that, despite Spurs' numbers, I suspect. You could, on paper, all those clubs have gone out and bought more important footballers, to use the current jargon, than Spurs have, Jack.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard at the moment to get a read on how good. I mean, particularly Man United and Chelsea are. I think Man United or Chelsea could be really bad this season, or I think they actually could be pretty good. Yeah. Um. So it is it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I think it's pretty clear that City are going to be very good, and Liverpool are another team. It's difficult to get a read on. So I. I don't know what you guys reckon, but I think it's actually it's still very much up in the air with those teams.
2: I, th- I think it's so interesting, and I think it you know it's so ferociously competitive that I think there are going to be very very good teams potentially who don't finish inside the top four this season. And I, I think um, to- where Tottenham maybe have a benefit is a little bit more stability. Yeah. Um, you know, I you know I think Conte knows his players pretty well by now. So I think Chelsea and United uh may struggle with, you know, bringing in lots of different players and I think that might catch up with them relative to Spurs. I think Arsenal's the thinness of their squad might catch up with them relative to Tottenham. So I I still think, you know, I predicted they come third. I still think that's probably fair, but I do also think Liverpool will be interesting. I said before the start of the season I thought Sadio Mane his departure to me felt like it was I know obviously amongst Liverpool fans it was but it felt by the wider uh, sort of commentary at that seemed to be not really commented on as much as I thought it should have been. I mean that is such a massive loss for them. And I know they've brought in Darwin Nunez but you know that that's kind of a re- they're going to have to readjust how they play and that might take some time. So it does feel like the opportunity there their best player. It, yeah, I mean he Manu's he's definitely just definitely their best player. For, for a long period, I mean he was for the 6 years he was there, he was so consistent, so important. So there's definitely an opportunity there, but I also think it's it's going to be so so close that yeah, race.
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's you know Liverpool will have to work out who of, you know, if you add Jota and Firmino who seems to be back to a bit of forms, that what is their best possible uh lineup up front? Also, um you know, you see on on social media there, Liverpool fans um, going on and on and on about their midfield. I know they reinforced in the last few seconds of the transfer window, but you know this is an example of 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 um, you know what Liverpool m- maybe don't have, and also the insane competitiveness of the Premier League now that it just dominates the global transfer market. Leicester City are bottom of the Premier League as we speak with a midfield of Madison Tielemans and Ndidi. And I put it to you, gentlemen, that there will be uh, next this Tuesday and Wednesday coming. There will be lots of teams in the Champions League with a much worse midfield than that, and they're bottom of the Premier League, and that's because they have got no nobody at the back. I, I get it. Just, just mad. And yes, the the Liverpool midfield conundrum may mean they're not as close to City um, as 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 they were over the last couple of years. We, will we know more? We'll, we'll 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 preview the game properly, Jack. On. On Thursday, will we know more about um, how Spurs are doing after they have played um, at the Etihad, or is that even for a club the size of Spurs, is that the the infamous free hit?
0: I don't know if I'd call it a free hit. I certainly don't think Conte would see it as a free hit no at all. all. Um, equally, I'm not. You know, it is a, it is quite a unique game, and I'm not. I don't think that it has a big bearing on how Tottenham will do overall. Like, I have no. Like, Tottenham might lose that game, but I've also got no doubt that they know how to win games like that. Like, they have got a really good record against City, and they have got the skills required to be good in the game like that. Like, they don't concede a lot of chances. They're very efficient with their possession. They're really good on the counter-attack. So whether they win or don't win, I don't think it matters so much. I think the bigger question, really, about Spurs is, can they routinely win the games like they won on Saturday? That's really going to define whether or not they get 70 points, 80 points, 85 points, is... The regularity with which you can win, Fulham at home, etc. So I think that, like even you know, I think they could they could cut they could be unlucky and lose three nil on Saturday, and I don't, and it wouldn't make me that pessimistic
1: about Tottenham's chances. I think I think we're we're sort of um, swirling around uh, the, the same set of arguments. Manchester City are a fantastic team. Liverpool have some doubts over them, and all the others. We'll see, how, you know, in this most unpredictable of seasons because of all the things we've always kept talking about. We'll see how. The, the cards fall uh, for these other clubs. Arsenal have made a great start. I think Manchester United are a better team than they look um, because I think they've really got a, a pretty sensible manager. Who, if he can just keep the lid on the Cristiano Ronaldo situation, may find themselves with, with more points than last year. Very, very close indeed. Well,
0: and the other, the um, other great unknown, and I, we shouldn't. There's no need to milk this too much at this point. Is the World Cup? You know, we we don't know how far these players are going to go. We don't know the impact that will have on the second half of the season. But I suspect that there's going to be a huge kind of delta of variance between teams who's have who've got all their players back by like the tenth of December, and teams whose players are still are still playing in in Doha right up into the until the final stages of the World Cup. Um, and I've got no idea at this point how that's going to affect teams. But I, Spurs are definitely have a lot have a lot of exposure to this. Because most of the squad is going to be at the World Cup.
2: We also don't know even how you know. Sometimes we see players win a tournament and that affects them negatively. Sometimes we see players have a heartbreak and that affects them neg- negatively, and vice versa. So there are just I don't even know what you. If, if, even if you're a Spurs fan, thinking purely through your Spurs fan lens, I don't know if it's good for say England to win the World Cup or for France to win the World. You know, we just don't know. Is there then a letdown or is Harry Kane or Hugo Lloris or whoever? Inspired or Christian Romero inspired to go on and do great things with with Tottenham it, it's just it, it's completely no, it's insane. we absolutely it's insane. It's completely and what, unknown
0: and what we really haven't seen is a team have you know Brentford away happening 6 days after World Cup final a yeah. Carabao cup happening 3 days after the World Cup final
1: yeah <laughs>
2: and so
0: that is just an extra level of unknowing and ignorance or not, you know we are the, behind the, veils and veils of ignorance here
1: the only certain is that Erling Haaland will get a month's rest yeah. in the middle of the season. <laughs> yeah, which is and, hilarious. And Mo Salah, I think, as well. And Maris, yeah. And Maris, yeah. Though
2: what's funny with that as well, that we don't know, they will then, I'm sure, be things coming out being like, well, actually, it's bad to stop midway through a season <laughs> and have to pick up and that it could harm Salah and Haaland. So, you know, there'll they'll just be so many things. But also Brentford away is just an example of how, and I always talk about this, but how unbelievably hard the Premier League is because that's a game that in years gone by you know they're a sort of you know where were they last season sort of lower mid-table now you look at that and you think that feels pretty terrifying going away the way they're playing at the moment and and you know by Boxing Day maybe that would have burnt out a little bit but um yeah it's a cliche but it's it's true. I mean there there are just all right. so few games. Tony
1: may or may not have had a month off. Or he to, well yeah exactly. To recharge his <laughs> batteries. He'll have scored the winning goal in the World Cup final. Yeah from um, from an, an assist by Dele Alli. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's let's take a break and um all of this uh chuntering about um whether or not Spurs can close the gap at the top or fight off the teams who are challenged them um is all about qualifying for the champions league spurs have done for the first time in a little while um there is a champions league game at Spurs' home ground um the words just are delicious to even say and we'll look forward to the game against marseille next year on the view from the lane
0: this episode is brought to you by michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more.
1: Hello there. I'm James Richardson and I just want to give you a quick heads up on the Totally Football Show's European edition we're with you every Tuesday lunchtime as you may know but it's a particularly big edition this week as James Horncastle Raphael Honigstein Julian Laurence and Alvaro Romeo look ahead to match day one of the Champions League group stage which features Real Madrid heading to paradise Liverpool going down to Naples where they always lose and Juventus going to Paris Saint-Germain for the first time in Champions League history Crikey we'll also be rounding up all the continental news from the weekend too so don't miss it Search for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. This is The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today, Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare. As I was saying uh, before the break, um, how lovely to be able to say the words um, Champions League returns to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, when Spurs take on Marseille on Wednesday evening. Um... And Jack, I I think sometimes because everything is happening so fast uh, in in the world of football, we don't get a time to just sit back and reflect on just the importance of Spurs' returning to the Champions League. You spend all your time trying to do it and then you don't don't give yourself any space to enjoy the fact.
0: Exactly, yeah. And look, this stadium was open with the idea that it would always be hosting Champions League football, really. And of course, two of the very first games that were there were Manchester City in the quarterfinal and nights in the semi-finals, And back then, I think we kind of felt at the time, like, oh, it's amazing, we're going to have these massive Champions League games forever. There's only, been, there's only been six Champions League games in the new stadium. This is going to be number seven. It's two and a half years since the Leipzig home game. So it's like, you know, and it's been a long, it's been a long old slog. And obviously, you know, through the course of that, there's been multiple sackings, there's been COVID and all the rest of it. But it does feel a lot to me like this is kind of, Uh, I mean, homecoming is a slightly corny word, but this is, you know, the game, the the Marseille game and the rest of Tottenham's Champions League campaign. This is kind of what the stadium's there for. It's there to host Champions League football. So, I mean, on a personal level, I'm very, very much looking forward to it.
1: And it also, uh, you know, you can't stand still. um, And so you don't want to do too much celebrating the fact, but it does feel to me, Charlie, like a a moment of reset for the club you're in the champions league now you've got a decent manager many people say uh, a quite extraordinary manager um and whatever we'll talk about the result in a second whatever the result it's just one of those moments when you can say okay we're going forward let's kick on
2: yeah definitely and especially when you cast your mind back to the last time they played in the champions league which was march 2020 um and the mood was not Especially positives, but if Spurs felt like a club on their knees, they had loads of injuries. Kane uh, and in Sonra out at the time, and just how much improved, You know, obviously they they sunk further, but really? now yeah. yeah they they sunk really really far, but they're they're where um where they want to be, and and it is an opportunity, and and you're right that yeah th- this is what it's all about. It 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 can feel a sort of abstract thing and and a very financial thing. You know, you need to get top four for because of all the money available and that sort of thing but it is about nights like Wednesday and I think everyone will really really make the most of it and you know get there as early as they can uh, and soak it up but also as Conte said on Friday having done the hard work now they need to really make the most of the opportunity that they have and it will be really interesting because you know as much as Clearly, as we've spoken about, the standard of the Premier League is so high and the depth, I think the depth of it is what stands out. Um, but, you know, the, these are different challenges that Spurs are going to have to face. They're going to be up against three really tricky teams who will throw different things at them um, to what they're used to. And I and I am really interested, especially in the context of Conte tending to struggle in this competition, which is, is a kind of weird anomaly Um and one that obviously he'll be very conscious of and desperate to put I'm, right of I'm
1: glad you think it's an anomaly and not just some flaw in his, in his makeup. Um Well, and- I don't know. I mean, well, we'll, I think
0: maybe I think it is. I think it I mean, look it's kind of insane for me to talk about flaws. It, you know, me me to point out the flaws in Antonio Conte's management.
1: But well, that's what you're here for. Nevertheless, <laughs> that is what I do, and
0: I don't, I don't. think it's like pure random variance that Conte has a bad record in Europe. You know, you might say, okay, unlucky. He had a really really good Chelsea team who were knocked out by Barcelona. Uh, and it's not his fault they weren't in the Champions League in his first season. He, I mean, he might even say it's Jose Mourinho's fault they weren't in the Champions League in his first season at Chelsea. But I do think that Conte's... What makes Conte a great manager is all about consistent reliability and the the, the the ability to get the same group of players, the same 11 players, basically, to repeat and repeat and repeat and play the same system every single time to an incredibly high standard. And... That is why he's so good at leagues and that's why he loves having that training ground time to really drill his routines into the players. But that isn't the same as having a group of 18 players and you chop and change and you try and keep all the plates balancing at the same time so that you get to kind of March, April, May and you've, you're you still able to win multiple competitions. So I just think my impression is that that's why he struggled a bit with Mate with competing on multiple fronts. He's a kind of like all in on the league guy, and that's been proven by his. To be honest, it's been proven by his time at, at Chelsea, Juventus, and Inter. I think. Yeah, I think,
1: well,
2: I think, I think as well. He he's often prioritised the league. He you know he he which I think is is sort of unusual, but there have been times where he I think it was 2013-14 and Roma had made a really really good start in Serie A they won their first however many games it was and and I think he was a bit spooked and they went out in unfortunate circumstances they went out to Galatasaray in a game that was rearranged because of snow and all of this but um, I think he that bread and butter matters to him enormously even when he was at Juve and was winning the titles pretty comfortably um, I think there was a season as well where they would go you know they went out late in the Europa League but part of his focus was on getting them beyond 100 points in the league and you just think really? Like who, who cares?
1: <laughs> like, gonna, you're, yeah.
2: <laughs> you're winning the league at an absolute canter. He would also point to that I think probably that they have he has got to a Europa League final and semi-final so it's not like he can't do um, Oh he European may well do that again this year who Well
0: knows? yeah he might he might. <laughs> I mean but just it's, kind a- of, it's also telling I think that I think one thing that certainly the Champions League in the last five or ten years has taught us is that the best team like if you judge the best teams and the best managers by league performance that doesn't always translate to the Champions League like C- City and Liverpool have obviously been the two best teams in Europe over the last six years City have reached one Champions League final Liverpool have won the Champions League once under Klopp and then lost two finals you know Conte is clearly an incredible manager in league football but it doesn't necessarily translate to, the, to, to Champions League whereas you know Carlo Ancelotti an all-time great in knockout and cup football hasn't. I don't think his league rec- his league winning record, is especially good, given that he's spent the last twenty-plus years managing the richest teams in the world and Everton. But it's like it's just <laughs> not the same, you know. The the, the the skills required to succeed in these different competitions are not
1: the same, managerially. No, and if I might just um, then put uh, the fear of God into Spurs fans, when the draw was made, I, mean, I definitely knew the team you wanted to avoid in Pot Four. Um, was Marseille but they'd had their bit of luck with getting Eintracht out of pot one so you can't complain about that then I hoped that the chaos that ensued at Marseille in the close season where they got rid of their manager brought in Igor Tudor um, former Juventus player of course and Igor has then set about setting fire to the club sacking all the other coaches including some of the ones he brought in himself Um, falling out with with Payet and other things you thought this would be reflecting their performances but instead we see them proudly unbeaten in Ligue 1 level on points with Paris Saint-Germain and armed I always think rather uh, frighteningly with not one, not two, not three, but four former Arsenal players in the form of Tabares, <laughs> Tabarez, Guendouzi and Alexis Sanchez. Yes, Alexis Sanchez. Back three the goals dead, in his last three games. And yeah, he scored again really well. this weekend.
0: Um, so, They've um, got more points than Spurs. they got 16 points from six
1: games. Spurs have got 14 points from yeah, six in games. What, in what league have they got more points from Spurs, Jack? The Come Uber on. Eats Liga. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, the point I'm making is um, this you, you you could you could hope. I, mean, I suppose have had all the luck in the world in getting the first game at home. You really need that in the Champions League. Hopefully, to get yourself off to that, you know, you you can you can you can finish the first game with thirty percent of the points you're going to need to qualify if you're if you're, if you're lucky. Um, but it, it's it's not quite the let's beat the minnows from pot Four gimme that it might it might, uh, it might first we could have hoped for perhaps Charlie.
2: No, I mean, I think it will be a really tough game. I was talking to a L'Equipe journalist earlier this morning uh, about Marseille and the kind of threat they'll pose and he was saying he thought they might be quite awkward opponents for Tottenham because they're going to be happy to sit off and, and let Spurs have the ball Spurs will, will be trying to do the same so you might have that sort of situation where it's like massive you have it. no, gap no, in midfield where
1: nobody <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly it's sort of no man's land <laughs> uh, they play with a back three so we'll match up quite well against Tottenham um, and as you say they're in really good form a bit of a you know transition because they went from Sao Paulo, uh, Paulo uh to Tudor. but uh yeah I, th- I think it will be close um but it should be quite entertaining if it, it feels like to you know that as much as they sit off they c- they can be quite aggressive uh in their pressing high up the pitch so that might be a test for the Spurs back three maybe that uh, lends itself better to Longley than it does Davis we'll see uh but certainly good that they've got uh, Romero back because I think Sanchez and, and uh, Royale sort of playing passes to each other up against that uh, could be ugly but I'm really looking forward to it uh, to see you know it's always fascinating to see these teams that you haven't watched that much of and often I think we underestimate them uh, and then they have these players that look amazing and you think you know where, where are they going to end up so well obviously a lot in a lot of their cases they've already been in the Premier League and as you say Payet hasn't really been playing which is quite interesting Um certainly not starting regularly
1: so yeah
2: I think I think it'll be a really interesting game
1: I'm only going to ask you one question prior to Antonio Conte's press conference about the selection I'll start with you Jack if I will Richarlison start I hope so yeah I think
0: he deserves to continue to start and also he needs I'd like to see him score a goal so that means Kulosevsky doesn't start I don't know. Well, I, I was thinking maybe not play... Maybe, yeah. Maybe don't play Kulisevsky. Or maybe don't play Son. But I think equally he'll want Son to get a goal too.
2: I th- I think he'll be on the bench. I think it'll be the Kulisevsky kane son um, what, what about you?
1: Oh, I, I, he he would probably... In a perfect world, he would have probably rested Son, given that he is the player most likely to damage Manchester City at the weekend. Yeah. I think that's what we've seen over the past three years. Um, but because he's, he hit the bar and didn't score a goal, I suspect he'll leave him in because he's a great player that you have to nurse through these periods he occasionally has where he finds the game slightly more difficult. I was encouraged um, against Fulham. I thought he looked a little bit less like the ball was a hand grenade. I thought he kept running into positions where he was liable to get the passes um, from Kane and Hoiberg, and and he was unlucky with with the one that hit hit the bar. Um, So I think think he will play him, and I suspect... I suspect it will be Kulishevsky, Son and Kane up front. Um, I'd like Basuma to play. And
0: do you reckon we might see a change at right wing back, Charlie?
1: I don't know. been waiting for that for <laughs> for the last never few never going to happen now. It, 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 it seems that Emerson Royal is absolutely... Of course, we'll find out uh, during the week when we'll be joined by um, a Brazilian journalist uh, because uh, all of my colleagues here on the View the Plane are so busy. But uh, Emerson Royal's the first name on the team sheet now, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he's undroppable. I don't know. It, it would feel like,
2: given he's been talking about um, how Doherty has been coming back from a serious injury and that takes time and with all the intensity to chuck him straight into a Champions League game would feel quite bold but then that said it feels unlikely he'll do that against even less likely he'd do that against City so it depends I guess how durable he thinks Royale is I mean to be fair that is one of Royale's um, qualities he, he does you know, he seems to be able to play each week and doesn't show much sign of wear and tear uh, But but yeah I think I think Ra will get the nod. I, I just wanted to ask you guys as well on on the topic of talking about Son's form. Got, I got this question on Twitter from a listener, Noah uh, Seligman. I hope i pronounced that right. Probably haven't. Thank you, Noah. Um, yeah, thank you, Noah. Uh, he says, <laughs> if you had to keep one of these three, which would you keep? VAR, Arsenal being top of the table, or Sonny's current form?
1: Oh, dear.
0: <laughs> um, I think it's actually quite an easy question because I think... Arsenal being top of the table and son's form are both things which will readjust naturally. Like I think mm. Son will just get mm. better. And yeah. I think yeah. Arsenal will But isn't I, the
1: question yeah, doesn't he suggest by the question that nothing will change? I think it's things. which
0: of those things would you change forcibly if you could? And then with the other two you'd have to rely on, you know, natural variation. Yeah, the forces of nature,
1: yeah. So I think the I don't answer- know, but
0: maybe if if that isn't the case, and if the and if and if the if the premise of the question is these three things will stay in perpetuity, unless you can only change one of them, then it becomes a slightly
1: harder question. That's does, then diff- it? very
2: different.
0: That's yeah. actually
1: um, th- that is a more challenging question. That's what I took from the question, and that's why the answer yeah. is so hard to arrive at. Um, and I'm gonna like you. I think I'm gonna. No, you're uh, you're a dastard. There's no question. Um, I I would go for VAR because I think that's damaging the game. The game, never mind Spurs, so profoundly. Um, we were moaning about it last week before the this weekend's oh God, crisis yeah. emerged, where even the I mean, this who actually plays, who pays punk Moll or whatever they're called. <laughs> who, who is the boss of punt Um Because and also get a better name than punt Um mm. because. There's no accountability. The, the, the Premier League should be able to say, right, we're standing down, VAR, after six weeks now, for you to sort this out, or until Howard Webgeser, or whatever it is, because now we're seeing the fans not being able to celebrate goals and all the rest of it, but actual results now, important football yeah. games, are being decided by the use of VAR in ways in, for which it was never intended. Yeah. And I, I'm, you know, I'm standing up for my Arsenal supporting friends um, and family now, when I say, you don't go back to a half- clash in the middle of the midfield to disallow a goal never mind Alexis McAllister's effort for Brighton just scandalous scandalous I genuinely think I
0: think that the Jared Bowen decision on Saturday is the worst refereeing decision I've ever seen I think uh, wow. given given the importance of it because mm-hmm. it was a, a it's last two It's
2: literally just two points
0: and also even worse than that the fact that you know there's a a bad decision missed by a referee in real time is one thing, but a bad decision watched by a bloke a hundred times on a, on a screen is a hundred times worse, and especially when it's it overrules an original live correct decision. I've watched I've watched it so many times. I have no idea what he was thinking.
2: It's I know. A, I have to such say an,
0: or, it's a decision which is so bad, which it, it completely destroys the case for VAR in one in one moment.
2: But but what's so mad about VAR as well is I genuinely think and and I you know and I think Danny you were the same I thought it would be a good thing but I think the fundamental misunderstanding people people's idea of VAR was that it would be these sort of omniscient robo referees who would just get all decisions right. The decisions are made by the same people that you hate and you demonise just in a room somewhere. So that, so, uh, and then when people are like, no, no, VAR's not the problem, it's the people doing it. Yes, that's true, but where are these genius referee bots who know everything that are going to go and sort
1: everything out? They do not exist. But when I was thumping, and I remember physically thumping the table at Talk Sport one day after another weekend of poor officiating, banging on about we, we, it's, it's, it's the 29th century, whatever we're in now, Buck Rogers country, and we're still not using the technology, it never occurred to me. That's the referees and the VAR people wouldn't be different groups of people because the human element, the interaction of I'll back you up this week, but you'll have to back me up next week, which is unspoken, probably subconscious, but is obviously there. It's, just, it's nuts that the same, quite apart from their inability to get decisions right. The, the rolling cast of the bloke who got the on-field decision wrong last week is now in charge of the off-field decision this week, but he's backing up a bloke who got the off-field decision wrong last week. It's nuts. Who, who ever thought that was going to work?
0: But that point just underlines the fact that the idea that you can get to 100% objective accuracy has always been a chimera. Like It's always been a completely false false target, We've sacrificed so much to go a tiny step in the right... To go a tiny step in a direction. But it's not like we're getting closer to perfection. We're getting, you know, it's still a step... I I think
1: even stepping in that direction, I think, is kind of futile. We had had woodworm in the kitchen countertop and we burnt the house down to cure it. Yeah. Absolute nonsense.
2: Completely, but also, like, I think we just need to realise... I think we looked at sports like tennis where it's brilliant because it's objective. Is the ball in or is it out? And it settles it. It's like goal line technology, which I think everyone would also say Absolutely has been a brilliant right. addition.
1: Except the Huddersfield manager. Yes.
2: Or that case where it just didn't work in the whatever it was, Villa Sheffield United. It, but football is very, very different. And I think even there just isn't an objective truth. That just doesn't exist for, you know, like the example you give, the the Odegaard foul yesterday. It just you know, and we've created the monster. You know, oh, we yeah. who sat here slagging off refs week after week, but all it does via it gives more hands to the more power to the bureaucrats, way more power. It's like that the least that the group that we want to have, you know, that we find the most irritating or whatever, whether that's fair, we're saying no. You have more power, and all it does it means we talk about refereeing decisions even more rather than less. I, I and you can't celebrate goals.
1: And uh, let's just be absolutely blunt about this. It's had its problems in most places, but nowhere as bad as it's been used in England. The Euros showed how it could be used. And I'm afraid, and I'm going to say these words, um, the referees in Britain, in England, have made themselves personalities within the game. And they have fought tooth and nail to make sure that that combination of power and celebrity has not been taken away from them. And the, the weapon they've used is VAR. And it's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace to the game in England. Um, And the reason nothing's being done about it, of course, is because the gravy train just keeps on coming. Why would you do something about the fundamental damage being done to the game when the money keeps on coming? But I'm telling you this now, that when supporters of a live sport, the people in the stadium, can no longer believe the evidence of their own eyes and television fans, that sport starts to drift away. With athletics, it was drugs. And with football, it's going to be VAR. And the English authorities are skating on some very thin ice here. Finally, uh, Jack, a-, a lovely piece by you in The Athletic. I-, I say that as though it's a novelty. It's not. Um, about, uh, <laughs> Finally, a lovely piece yeah, yeah, you in The and Athletic. And last, Jack, you've got off your ass and <laughs> written a decent on. piece. Yeah, well done. Um, about... The Spurs Academy, which which had been so inept in the latter part of the last century in the first uh, years of this, and which in the last 15, 20 years has, while not replicating the success of Chelsea, Manchester City, you could argue even Arsenal, um, has at least got its act together together. Um, we you know we all talk about John McDermott's contribution to that, Chris Ramsey and others. My question off the back of the piece and I urge people to read it, where next for the Spurs Academy? when will they ever be one of those like the, the three the two certainly the first two I mentioned who'll be going out and buying players for their academy, really expensive young players from all over the world.
0: Well, that's a really good question. I think, I mean, look... At last, of, at last, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so th- this article I've written, it's really it's taking a look back at what you might call the John McDermott era, which started when he was brought in from the FA in 2005 uh, by Frank Arneson. And he kind of revamped the Tottenham Academy, brought in a lot of people in. And this really kick-started this great era that the Spurs Academy have had uh, you Know the highlight, which obviously is Harry Kane, but it also includes Ollie Skip, who hopefully will be back in the team soon. Winks, who's just gone out on loan, Tanganga, who's still at the club. Uh, Mason, who's now on the coaching staff, obviously. Ben Cleb, Townsend, etc. etc. Et it's been Carl, a real, Carl know, Walker, Carl, yeah, Carl Walker Peters, <laughs> she's yep. now doing really well at saying so it's been a fantastic era for Spurs. Um, I mean, they produced a whole lot of, of the yeah,
1: England internationals. had a fantastic career,
0: yeah. a brilliant career. But um, obviously, McDermott left for the FA, uh, Dean Rastrick is now in charge. So, it, you know, let, it, let's wait and see what happens down the line for the Spurs Academy. But I just wanted to look at this particular era. In terms of the will Tottenham start buying players from abroad... Well, it's harder now than it used to be because of Brexit. Um, you know, pre-Brexit, clubs had... It was kind of a free-for-all, really, with big clubs signing 60, 16-year-olds. And to be honest, a lot of clubs would push the envelope a little bit on on getting the players in a bit earlier than that. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's going to be really tough because I, I you know, if you look at what Academies are doing at the moment, they're actually competing harder and harder and harder for British talents because they know that you can't sign the best 16-year-olds from France and Spain anymore. Um, so I don't know what direction the Tottenham Academy will go in if they will start competing hard. It's really tough. Like compete the competition for the best six-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old in the country is really, really, really tough. And you're competing with teams who, you know, it's no, it's no secret that some teams will offer a lot of inducements to parents to 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 get their boys it was the ever thus academy. though wasn't
1: it that that's that that is one of the well maybe
0: but danny but it's definitely got oh, yeah. it's definitely been worse in the last 10 years than it ever has been before
1: yeah because uh, the competition's so high yeah um, and of course, uh, off the back of that, we should mention Dane Scarlett uh, brace for Portsmouth. Three, I think, his yeah. last two, uh, to, and helping them to the top of the table. Um, we'll do a kind of loan watch once every month or so um, in the course of uh, of the uh, the rest of the season. Um, and as- no, I kind of feel like, apart from Scarlett and Parrot, who are the two
0: the two big names, I feel like Spurs don't have quite so quite as many loaned out
2: this season. Well, yeah, like Devine was one who would have done, and then yeah, got an injury, which is a shame because he he's yeah would have been perfect for that. Um But they're the two, yeah,
1: they're the sort of two main ones to keep an eye on. I know, sure, your mate Gio Celso scored at the weekend as well. Of the you know, not,
2: yeah, that's but, true. If we don't include and Dombelay and uh, yeah. Lascello,
1: and <laughs> no, I mean, we're talking about the the, the uh, academy, wins. the academy yeah. boys. Um, well, it's winks, a, yeah. it's it's a, it's a it's a really long read and very very interesting about how Spurs set about doing something successfully, but you you know non-headline making something that took years to get right, and they did eventually get it right. And uh, I guess I, I should say to you, then, uh, if you're not already uh, an Athletic subscriber, uh, you can sign up to read pieces like that and much else of our brilliant Spurs coverage, as well as a whole pile of other stuff. Um, on the site just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod sign up right now for just one pound a month for six months that's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod um, and i say it's a pound a month for the first six months which is fantastic value um, it leaves me only to say thank you to Jack and thank you to Charlie um, we'll be back in a few days time um, when Spurs will have played as we say their first Champions League game for some considerable time and we'll be looking forward to the game if that's the right word uh, against Manchester City plenty to discuss then thank you for joining us now and goodbye The Athletic